Hey, heathens, welcome to the Firing Line podcast where we talk about all things recovery. This is Roger P. I'm with Taylor C., who's your, your normal host or who doesn't want to be a part of, but he here he is right now. And then Brittany H. You want to say hello, guys? Hey, weirdos. <laughs> hello. Yeah. So glad to be here today. Yo, that's awesome. So. What we're going to be doing on today's uh, episode, we'll be going through the spiritual experience in the back of the book, Appendix 2. Does anyone know what an appendix does? It adds something on, right? Yeah, I guess so. I was thinking more like an actual (laughs) organ appendix. They just take them out, don't they? They do. I don't know. I think they are used to help process and break down things. There's bile in them. They just get infected and take them out. <laughs> they do. They took mine out. Well, nothing was wrong with it. It's like, I don't know. Anyway, we need this one, and it's the second one, spiritual experience. I think one of the best reasons uh, to explain why we go through this, first of all, it's super subjective, right? Each person speaks in his own language how he comes to have and form a relationship with God. But one of the foremost things that I'm sure both of you all know when you hear or talk to a newcomer is not necessarily that they're not an addict or alcoholic but their biggest issue is that this is a god thing and i want no part of that can you all do all yeah i had the same belief when i walked in here i wanted no part in a god thing because organized religion was bullshit basically in my mind right and then Taylor has a weird dichotomy with that. You're actually, you know. Yeah, I'm a God guy. I'm really into it, you know, when I get here. But I'm still a drug addict. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I've had, I've worked with people who have been against the God concept, however. So. Yeah, what's what's the weirdest part about this is, like, it, when we come in, we we literally cannot get away from our old ideas and our belief systems and acting upon those. And what part, is it just ignorance? Or what part of is it that we use the idea of what we know about religion to say that we want no part of a spiritual God? Like Those are two different things, are they not? Or are they? I think they are. But coming in here, I had no concept of that. Um, what I learned about God was from one small place... In my life, um, I had no concept that a spiritual God was different than a religious God, and I didn't want any part in it at all. I know. Same. I thought I knew everything there was to know about God, and that was enough for me to say that I didn't need him. Uh, Taylor, did you have similar vibes? I thought I knew a lot more about God than I knew. And how did that hinder you? Uh, because having all the knowledge about God just didn't, it didn't save me from being a drug addict. Uh, what happened when I came to Drug Addicts Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever anonymous, I um, got an experience with God that changed the way that I thought and the way that I reacted to life generally. Dude, so what I hear both of you all saying is that you had a belief system in your head and that that was built on 
convenience and what appealed to your emotional natures and that would also help you enact on your fears so that that could run your life. So your logic was the thing that you were going with towards God. And that in its essence, God is not something that anybody really knows or understands. We just have concepts or ideas about anyway. So that in itself was a belief system or my ideology that segregated you to a, a fellowship of one. So you all in it alone with ideas about God. And Taylor said something really, really good there. He, you talked about coming in. You found that you needed to have an experience with something. How does somebody have an experience with something? Well, if, you, if I knew, I wouldn't need a program. True. What'd you do, though? How'd you formulate and find a God through that? The I, program? Yeah. Edit, yeah. I went to a lot of meetings, and I saw that other people had something that I didn't, and I trusted them, and I listened to them, and I followed the directions that they gave me. And what started to happen? I started having an experience. How could you tell? Uh, because things that I would normally react to that I would go get high over, I didn't go get high over anymore. And that was the first sign for me that I didn't have to go get high when this thing happened or when that thing happened. You know, I just kind of all of a sudden, it wasn't all of a sudden. For me, it was all of a sudden. But I didn't need to react the the same way that I used to. Like you had a barrier between you and whatever caused you. And the book talks a lot about that. that Men and women drink or use essentially because they like the feeling produced. It's like when, I know like when I read that, I'm like, oh shit. All of a sudden, if I go and get high at somebody or at something, that's going to say that uh, it, it directly went against my ego because now I know better. And I needed to have that uh, knowledge in order to have an experience, but I don't know that it generalistically happens from acquiring knowledge. Like uh, the steps aren't something I study and then have a test on and regurgitate information and somehow pass up in levels. And then I get my, my first step chip and my second step chip and make this you know commitment <laughs> to join this, this cult of AA or DAA. About with you, Britt, how could you tell you were having a spiritual experience? Um, so I, I remember very vividly, it was Easter Sunday. I'd been sober about eight months. I had How just, convenient. Right? I had just been doing this stuff um, the way my sponsor told me to. I didn't really believe much of it. I, I couldn't really see it in my everyday life. And I was standing in the parking lot with a group of women, which was very out of the ordinary for me because I didn't like women when I came in here. I think a lot of us as women don't like women when we come in here because they're the competition or that's how we see them. Um, but I'm standing there with this group of people and I, I laugh from like a place that I had never laughed before. And that was the first like inkling that maybe something was different. Maybe this was, was going to work and I was going to be okay. Um, and it was just a really cool experience for me. Just something that hadn't occurred before, but yeah. something, and that didn't happen outside of you. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's, I mean, I, I guess it's sort of the same way within me, but somebody listening that still has a, a an issue with the God problem or has a God problem or just that single word itself arises so much resistance. Like, why is it we 
you all felt you needed a God in your life? Why, how did that become a viable option all of a sudden? Like if I told both of you all today where you're at in your recovery, if I said, all right, listen, I know you've got this huge problem right now in your life. It's overwhelming, something that's eating your lunch and your dinner and your breakfast. And if I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray about that issue for two weeks, and I want you to see what comes out of that. I feel like, knowing both of you all, that both of you all would emphatically take that as a viable option in your life today. Now, getting there is like, I don't think anybody can necessarily spell out what has happened to them. Like, you just have moments where you're like, I, I laughed freely, and Taylor's like, all of a sudden, I react differently. Like, where does that come from? How did I spell that out? And where did that come from? Because acquiring knowledge, what I've done all my life, backed me into a corner. And that's what I essentially do when I sit in meetings and talk to people, is I'm, I'm still doing the same thing. I'm acquiring lingo. I'm, I'm learning new things about myself and addiction. But what is it that happened? that turn the page for you like that's one of the coolest things about it it's like even i guess my limited understanding about god is that we don't when we when we worship or praise or talk about or anything in that realm what we're doing is we're pointing at characteristics of god rather than what god is we're like if god is proverbial godhead we're bringing it down and we're we're pointing at what he's done his works its works her works who knows what so things like principles to act on love tolerance kindness all the good things that we want it's like we get to pick and choose some some even some people even use the uh the negative aspects of that to find an experience you know the do as thou wilt and uh all in it for yourself like one can spell out an experience through those things, but for some reason where it comes to drug addiction and and you place it in, in these terms from Oxford groups to AA to any of the other 12 steps that's spelled off, there's like 12 steps, you go through them with somebody, and all of a sudden you look back and this thing has been going on in your life way before you thought it was. Like some could even argue that it, there's negative and uh, ideas we have, old ideas, belief systems, and even the painful things we go through, and even, I guess, did to others, you know, brought us to where we're at today. I don't know if it's a fate thing or like a, a destiny thing, but something is going on, uh, inner works, under underlying all things that have us here right now. Three people who, I mean, I, I used to put you know, like, needles into my arm, like I was a pincushion. I don't know how I made it out with endocarditis, or just dying from that, and the thing was, is, is like, I, if I were to talk about some of the experiences I had in shooting dope, they would run seam, if I would take the terminology out, they would run seamlessly with a spiritual experience. I don't know about you all. Taylor, I can't hear a nod. <laughs> he's nodding emphatically it's a good time so what are some of like this the coincidental things or the the things in your life that you would denote that were a, a god moment i know i brought that question out of left field yeah. there 
So, is I don't, I don't, I'm shooting dope. I have no idea why I need this God thing, but I'm pretty sure I've exhausted all other options at this point. So, all of a sudden, whatever you're saying, I'm just going to listen to because I don't know what I'm doing and it's not working out for me. And I do it, and then I get here, but the third, what's the third tradition? The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop using. I can have that when I'm still getting high, and I did. What keeps you all here? Grace. Come on. <laughs> Surrounded by grace. I love it, yeah. What keeps you here, Taylor? Why do you keep coming back? For the spiritual experience. Oh, man, it's too easy. Both of y'all. What is it? Think, do y'all ever think about that? Like, if I'm looking in from the outside and I'm like, if this is just a God thing and, like, we go to meetings to talk about our feelings and somehow I'm not shooting dope and the only requirement is a desire to stop using, what have you all been connected to? Like, can you all talk about it? Like, is it, I can't help but to do it without, like, layers of passion. And I'm not even sure what it is. I, for me, it's a different perspective other than my own. All I've ever known is the way that I see things, the way that I want things, the way I want the world to be, or I, the way that I want people to act, and they never do. And so the moment for me that was a spiritual experience was when I got a perspective other than my own that changed my outlook on life. I was able to see it from a God perspective rather than my self-centered perspective. You what know? is the God and perspective? The, the God perspective is that I'm not the center of the universe, you know, which I thought that I, I mean, I, I wouldn't go around saying I'm the center of the universe, but the way that I acted <laughs> and treated other people <laughs> said that I am the center of the universe. Could you see it? And no, I couldn't see it because I thought I was better than that. I thought that I was loving and I thought that I was caring, but I didn't know that I wasn't loving and caring. I still don't know when I'm not loving and caring. And that's why I require other people in the fellowship. That's why I require sponsorship. That's why I require people to, that's why I need God to speak to through other people to me. How much give me that perspective for you all? How much fear is involved with you returning and staying on versus like Brittany said, Grace and Taylor, you said perspective. Like what, what usually runs a show? Am I going to meetings consistently? Do I keep my routine? I'm trying to help others based out of a fear because I don't want to go back? Or how much of it is I'm really connected to something? It's not fear-based. It's, um, it's hard not to get excited and to be excited and to see other people recover and to see other people get their kids back. And um, it's a deep love for others that I didn't have when I came here. Um, it, it's a real, like, at a gut level, I love other people today. When I walked in here, I couldn't say that. I, I couldn't say that I even love my own child because I was too obsessed with using and, and doing all the things that, and I didn't understand the concept of love at that point, if that makes sense. Completely. Like one of the things I love about you the most is like when, when you walk into any room or when, I, when I'm watching you experience or greet other people, 
it's not something you even use with words. It's something like in your spirit that says you're genuinely happy to be in that moment to seeing people. And I love that. Taylor, I get it too. Like with you, when you're just doing things, like you, you catch fire for the things you're involved in. You genuinely have like a, um, a quality about you that says it's it's like this open welcoming thing your eyes are welcoming in that way and it's the only way I've ever known either of you so it's hard for me to like look at my experience and be like these motherfuckers are just like me in some way it's hard to see that in you all now like I've never not known Taylor as someone who is consistently going and doing and like out of his comfort zone in that way consistently reaching i get to, i mean for both of y'all see we're still human and we still have faults and stuff like that but like i get to see something happen in you all and i think you just spoke about that i'm sorry i had to burp about did it again hey you got to hear it <laughs> like I, w- I want to i guess with this is conveying a message for somebody that uh spiritual experience can happen for you provided you just go through what's in the book especially leaving your old ideas at the door and to have a new experience with something like i don't need to have a belief system i need to have an experience and what that experience does is like the same thing for both of you all in different ways and i i'm i'm really glad that both of you all did that i don't know if i would have y'all in my life right now but uh, i remember like the first time i saw taylor at a meeting and i walked by him and uh, i'm on my way out and he's like hey aren't you uh cory's brother and i said yep and i just kept walking i was like who's this fucking weirdo he's wearing this like this, this get up or whatever and it was like two weeks later um i saw him at this uh event this tiki paw event Tennessee Young People's Conference of AA. It was super, it was like fucking, I didn't sleep for two days being there. I was like 60 days out and I was just enthralled in the whole process and this new experience. And Taylor was there and he was like, hey man, you want to go get some lunch? So me and him and two other dudes pile in his, his car. And I'm like, what do you listen to? And he's like, well, there's this and this. And I'm like, bullshit, give me your aux cord. So I like hijack his aux cord off the rip. And I'm like, you heard this, you heard this. And I'm playing like some obtrusive metal in his car. And he's like, just in it and going and like I I I remember back thinking of how I introduced myself to him and just said yep and kept walking and then him showing up and me having no idea who he is but like how warm it's like I'd known him forever and he he does that with everybody he knows and same way with Brittany I have like I felt like I've known you for quite a while but then again I hadn't just side built to build both you up to hope you get you all speaking a little bit more i don't know you, you don't taylor does not look like he wants to be here right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> just so the audience knows i really want to hear some of like old ideas that you all had that have been dissolved like what was that one you were hanging on to have you all do you all ever think about these things like i try not to yes yeah, <laughs> i haven't in a long time wow I have so like um, I, the other day I was uh, I was sitting at work and somebody said I just get mad when I see other people that I think are feeling better than the way I'm feeling. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> right, and I I was like I haven't thought about that in like years. Mm-hmm. 
And I used to do that. I was obsessed with that. Like, oh my God, this person definitely at least had one more milligram than I did. Mm-hmm. Where do they get it? How can I get it? This stingy fuck. And like, I'm going, like, it's just warped. And, and the thing was, I would tell people that. And they'd be like, man, your thinking is warped. Warped. And the thing is, like, I see that now. Mm-hmm. But then when I'm in it, I have no idea of that concept. I'm like, that's just who I am. Mm-hmm. I used to denote... Uh, I put, I'd compartmentalize my belief system in God and I would typically only do it when I was in a foxhole. And also it had about as much power as if I broke a mirror or I can't walk under a ladder because something bad will happen. Or if I speak something I don't want to happen, I've got to knock on wood twice so the fates don't hear it. Or when somebody sneezes, say, bless you. Because it's just like, I don't, I don't know, it's this weird thing of like uh, tradition that I follow, but also that it has some weird mystic power in God, the, the Judeo-Christian God that I'd been brought up with and all the ideas about of the world's religion that I knew fell into that same box. And I com- compartmentalized it of having that power. So when things get bad, you pray to alleviate that pain. Why? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Something bad happens, you ask God to take that away because that's what this God thing does. Right? If I do something wrong, God's keeping score and I'm going to be punished for it. If somebody dies, that's that was what God wanted. And I'm not supposed to question these things. If kids get murdered and kids get tortured and all the th- whatever, that's what God wanted. I can't reconcile these things with why I need that in my life I have ideas and concepts about God but something going through this, again I keep it's like I'm not really selling anything but it's the only way that I know how to talk about what's happened in my life and the thing is is I can't really talk about it because I don't <laughs> I don't know what that is are you just deep in thought Taylor or are you I'm just following along here yeah trail of tears (laughs) (laughs) tell me about uh, any particular moments you had where you knew that uh, you know like when i hear that and i'm I'm sitting in a meeting and i hear like you know i just put the work in and god provided and i got the job like i don't know that like i was to say how god works but like that seems a bit like keeping score too and that's where it happens for me or like um I just I just wasn't doing right, so I didn't stay connected to God, and you know I got high again. I, I wasn't doing a good ten and eleven. I stopped making my amends, stopped sponsoring people, going to treatment centers, and you know I, I fucking relapsed. They don't say it with much of an accent like that, <laughs> but that's generally what I hear, and um, it's it. I think it sends a message that we have a a, a God who is punishing and vengeful and uh, keeps score. And uh, only loves us when we love him, and is uh, and is conditional based on that. And I don't know that that's not true. I don't know that it is true. But my experience says is that I had this, as the book says, you know, come up with your own conception of God. And I don't know that I really was intelligent. I'd love to talk about it that I am that I would be intelligent enough to come up with some groundbreaking, simplistic relatable concept of God in my mind but 
uh, and then and then follow that. But I th- the way the mix up that I had, and if you let me use my mind, the mind that got me into these rooms in the first place to come up with a God, I don't know that that's going to be like a a good thing. So maybe I use like um, a cheat sheet, right? So in the beginning, uh, the first three steps, they all have principles behind them, and they're all indispensable. And in the back, in the appendix too, it talks about that. I want to flip to it and read it here. This is the last paragraph. We find that no one have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are essentials of recovery, but they are indispensable. Like, indispensable is something that cannot run out. They're essentials, but they also, they cannot run out. So I was like, all right, so if I, if I act on honesty, what is that? And it's the concept, uh, the principle of the first step. I'm powerless over dope and all other mind-altering substances in my life has become unmanageable. Do I honestly think that? Am I convinced of that? Like, yeah. And it took me a minute. I, like, at times, I'd be like, am I really fucking addict, alcoholic? Like, what if I'm, like, low-key tricking myself into this? And, like someday I'm going to be able to do it again. Or like, well, what if, you know, maybe I rushed it a little bit because there's sometimes that I didn't lose power. There's sometimes that I like passed out before I ran out. There's sometimes that I like, I got through the weekend with enough pills to last me. And like, sometimes I could set it down. What if, you know, sometimes I, what if I'm just tricking myself now that this is some weird psychotherapy method and we're just calling it uh, God. And then we, we all just like jump on the bandwagon and you know, it's, seems a bit now that seems a bit irrelevant to the point of change that's occurred in my life but back in the beginning of it's like if i honestly think this how do i act on that well what is somebody who is powerless over drugs and alcohol and whose life has become unmanageable what would they do if they honestly thought that well they would maybe think that they didn't know everything there is to know about life they would maybe uh, take suggestions from people who have seemed to have recovered. They would show up and follow suggestions. They wouldn't be so arrogant. And uh, I was like, all right, cool, I can do that. That was manageable to me and, di- and like, digestible. So I was like, cool. So there's me acting on a, a principle, right? And I was like, well, what about this open-minded thing? I came to believe a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Well, that of, of course we dissect that and says it says in some way i am insane some way my behavior is insane then i need to be restored to sanity and normalcy and peacefulness and serenity i need to be restored to that and i didn't even know that i was insane and i don't know what sanity is but it talks about later in the book that we, you know like we will react sanely and normally where it comes to drugs and alcohol. We're neither fighting nor opposed to it. So that's what I'm looking for in my life. Insanity. What do sane people do? I just have ideas of what honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness are. But when it comes to the drugs and alcohol part of it, somebody who is open-minded is going to do stuff that may, maybe they're not really convinced or want to do. Things that, like, I don't think this is going to work. In fact, I, I can't see how this is going to benefit me at all. Uh, I don't want to do this. I don't like sitting in these meetings or hugging people or talking to people or getting up out of my bed that's super comfortable and doing anything that I don't agree with or want to do. As Taylor, you talked about, I want to do what I want to do all the time. And I guess acting on that. So I showed it through things that I was willing to do. Like I was always on board with 
t- telling people what was going on inside of me and listening to the suggestions that they have, the trusted people around me. And they just, this is what we do. So I kept showing up and I kept going through the book and followed the 12 steps. Wow. I'm not convinced that they'll work, but I'm open-minded enough to think that I don't know everything. I don't know if you all went through it that way. Yeah. My experience was much of the same. Yeah. Um, that honesty. And I think it's, it's like honesty with self. Um, at, at that gut level, I have to be honest about my powerlessness mentally, uh, physically, and then the unmanageability in my life is not what's going on around me, but what's going on within me. Um, where my head is, where my heart is, that, that just feeling of I hate everything, uh, the hole in my soul, nothing's going to fill it. Um, and it goes back to the spiritual experience with drugs and alcohol because that was the first thing that filled that hole. Um, so if, if I come to that place with that first step and I have fully conceded to my innermost self at a gut level that I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict, I'm all of the things, uh, it leaves me pretty, pretty screwed and pretty open to be willing to believe that there is something greater out there, something something bigger than my my little mind is cooked up. Um, I love that you act on all three of those seamlessly. Like if I'm honest, then <laughs> it forces me to be open-minded and willing. And if I'm willing, if I'm honest, I'm obviously I'm honest and open-minded. Yeah. I, I love that. I did. I wasn't that uh, smart to go through. <laughs> <laughs> like I would again com- compartmentalize those things. So it's, yeah. Yeah. How does one show they're willing? You know, somebody who's been affected by drugs and alcohol to the extent that we have, how do they show willingness? Like, where does that come from? How does one make themselves willing? I can barely get out of bed most days. I, sometimes I don't want to be alive. I'm not willing to exist. Where did I find willingness? Um, I think that I found willingness. It was a mixture of God and drugs and alcohol, really. It, it had, I'd been beaten to a place of, of reasonableness. I'd beaten, beaten. Um, what do you mean? Just beaten. totally. Like physically? No, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, all of the things just like crumbled into this place where like for once I was willing to not to listen to someone else, to take the suggestions that were given to me. Um, I, I, I had been left with no other option. I had proven to myself that geogra- geographical changes didn't work. I moved across the country, I still got high. Um, I had proven to myself that all of the rehabs, all of the outpatient treatment centers, all of the faith-based 12-step things that I tried, all of the other things didn't work anymore, so what am I left with? A wreck, wreckage. <laughs> Lots of records. Don't you have a kid? I do have a child. Why couldn't he keep you clean or sober? Because he doesn't have that power either. I mean, the, the, it, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. It doesn't matter what someone says to me. It doesn't matter um, how many times my brother stands in the kitchen and tells me to kill myself because I'm just an absolute mess of a human being. It, it doesn't reach that place in my heart that that like pulls me out of it. Um, I, I've never experienced anything other than God that has that power. Yeah. Except drugs. Except drugs. <laughs> Except they just can't be used successfully in right. any amount. They're like cheat codes. Right? Maybe. What is it? 
like in did you ever feel the um like when people would tell you to kill yourself or you knew you had a problem when people approached you with it it just made you more apathetic and more distant to listening like the more people told you had a problem the angrier and indignant you got towards life and yourself no i just got sad man because i really thought i was morally deficient i thought there there was not a solution i thought that this was all there was for me um i hadn't really had an experience with aa i had tried another fellowship and in that fellowship i found a lot of gossip and bullshit um <laughs> I, I i just i had like conceded to the fact that I was going to die by the time I was 25, and I was like, okay with it. I was at the point where I just really didn't care anymore. No doubt. So it's not to say that you, you were you were looking for God and people, obviously, in the beginning, mm-hmm. yeah, and following what some people that were attractive to you, that something other than words you were attracted to, and you're like, well, maybe I'll go with this. Yeah. And then seamlessly acted on those principles. You found something that's enabled you to find freedom over relief. Yes. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. She came into, uh, my first sponsor came Who into. Who is she? My first sponsor um, came into a treatment center that I had, it was the second time um, I had been there. And it was in a different state. So that geographical change didn't do anything for me. Um, And she came in and she sat down and she told her story. And when she told her story, it reflected the way that I had felt. Um, It reflected the way that I had drank and I had used. And she had done the geographical change. She had done all of the boyfriends and all of the different things trying to make it work. But then she found the solution. Um, She found a sponsor and she had went through the steps. And she talked about that. And I don't know that I had remembered, I don't remember anyone prior to that point actually talking about the 12 steps. I remember a lot of people coming in and sharing their feelings and <laughs> just talking about like what, what it's like now and how great it is. But nobody told me how to get there. Like there was no, um, there is a literal textbook that you can go through and, and your life will change profoundly. I didn't know any of that. Um, and when she came in, she was, you know, like you say, armed with the facts about herself. And so I asked her to be my sponsor that day. Um, and that was a total God thing. What's well, groundbreaking is that it, that it works. Not that there's a textbook or something. It's that it, it seems to, to yeah. work. I think that's what we get excited about, too, is uh, that when you, when you go through the throes of addiction and all the consequences that come with it and you're unable to do anything or find any respite from yourself all of a sudden you wash up on the shores of AA. Like no one comes in or DAA rather, whatever, but nobody washes up like after they've just graduated from Harvard. Maybe they do, but typically (laughs) it's somebody who is broken and barely holding it together and doesn't want to live. And it's like, those are the ones we want to see because those are the ones that are like going to get this thing. Like maybe you've been, you've put yourself in the position to where you're finally Mm -hmm. willing to consider something other than yourself is being an answer you're finally ready to stop coaching god and taking everybody back to homeroom and trying to figure this thing out to like being uh, a person who is living by spiritual principles which it seems to work like at the end of the day if if like when your sponsor walks in and she's she's done all the things that you've done and then she's 
with the same uh, results failure and then she finds something that works for her. And like at the, at the end of the day, whether it's a God thing or it's not a God thing, it's working for her. Yeah. So I need to latch on to that. Like if I were to ask you all this question, right? Do you all know God exists? Yes. The head thoughts don't work. Yes. Like, tell me how you know. Experience. Mm-hmm. I feel it. Feel it. Experience. Hmm. What about some, like, I don't know, some of the experiences, again, you all have had? Just one moment, a tidbit, the way you felt God's presence, the way you feel that I'm sitting here talking to you all right now. I mean, y'all, y'all can take your time. Order when you're ready. There's so many. Um, Give me that. I just, I want the one that sticks out to you, the one where you're reminiscing. What's the last time you you were filled with gratitude, real gratitude? beyond comprehension what's the one time that you felt like you were seamlessly a part of the present moment and couldn't and wouldn't want to be anywhere else like connected and uh, you know I, I like you said Brit, I have those things oh there's so many of them <laughs> they happen all the time but there's I heard a speaker not too long ago talk about how when they feel gratitude, they say thank you because that's like God communicating with them. And that resonated with me. So I've been doing those things. But the the subtraction of self, you know, and the more you subtract yourself and the more you fill that with something else, uh, it's just how algebra and how balance works. So the other part of the equation has to be balanced. So, um, what part of it was some tidbit I always want both of you all to like share something I would love that if you all would silence I get it I get it what if I do one of mine yeah do one of yours let me think yeah so I was given this story this short story by this lady that I was seeing early on in recovery and the reason it was really cool about it was is that somebody was thinking about me and things that I thought would be like attractable to me. So I was like, cool. This is it's a short story by Andy Weir, the the guy that wrote uh, The Martian. They made the movie out of with Matt Damon. Do you all know it? So it's with, it's like hard science fiction. But this was not that it was a short story, like page and a half, two pages, and essentially. It's about this guy that dies and goes ends up talking to God, but he doesn't know it, and he's like saying, "What's all this for?" and what what's going on here and he's worried about it and essentially it's like a, a hint part of like this hindu creation story with uh reincarnation that we are all one and what you do to one person you're doing to everybody else and that this is all for you like god was telling us like everybody you've ever met is you and this is all for you in order to bring you closer to me it's like a an egg and once you're ready we'll move past this and I was, I was like, okay, cool. That's a cool story, I guess, and written. I didn't have, but I gave it to one of my coworkers and let him read it because it was cool. And that was on a Friday. So that Saturday, uh, do you know the story? What are you laughing at? Is it stupid? Oh, I don't think it's stupid. I love it. So that Saturday, uh, there was like this spade tournament for one of the halfway houses in the area and uh, to raise money for him. So we were there for like, 
I don't know, it was like 2 in the morning, and uh, I was at this local clubhouse so, uh, for meeting. So a friend and I go outside, and we're like, I guess, smoking or whatever. And out of nowhere, this dude comes up, and he's just spun. He's zooted. You know the story too, Britt? Okay. Damn it. <laughs> so anyway, he uh, he's like, hey, man, will you take me to the hospital? Somebody take me to the hospital. Somebody's gave me a hot shot, and I'm probably going to end up dying. And he's just beside himself, and... um. He like, uh, uh, so I'm like, uh, sure, I, I guess whatever. My friend looks at me. He's like, are you sure, bro? Like this dude's, I don't I was, I was kind of sketched out. It's like two o'clock in the morning. This dude's zooted and he wants a ride and he's just insistent about getting in my car. And I was like, ah, what, whatever, man. Yeah, sure. I got you. Cause somebody else is going to follow me anyway. And he walks over to get in my car and I'm like dabbing my homeboy up. I'm like, all right, man, I love y'all. See y'all. But yeah, I'm going to be safe. It's cool. It's cool. I don't really want to do it. I'm low-key terrified and i'm walking to my car and i just got this brand brand new pair of chuck taylors and uh they were all white i still have them clean them up after this but uh out of nowhere i take like two steps towards my car and like something just slams in my foot and it hurts because it was like cold out and i look down and uh, my homeboy's like what the hell was that and i'm like I, it was an egg like <laughs> out of the abyss at two o'clock in the morning an egg comes and hits me in my foot <laughs> now granted there's probably like a reasonable explanation like i think there's like a there's some party going on in the house behind the this clubhouse and they were doing things that's what you do when you're adolescent you're partying is you throw eggs and toilet paper and shit but statistically uh if you add in all the variables for me specifically that i just read the story called the egg and the meaning that i took out of it is what you do to one person you're doing to yourself and this is all um to get you closer and that it's all about love and the moment that i'm walking to my car full of fear that i'm helping somebody who i don't know is going to kill me or rob me or something uh, i get a literal universal <laughs> sign that this is yourself and you're you're doing you're helping yourself in this and that's what we're taught in in the literature anyway there's nothing seldom suffices other than you know helping something else even when times get going and you know perfecting your life through work and self-sacrifice to others and it's it makes it convenient in today's society of course with treatment centers but when it's random a random stranger walks up to you who's spun and needing help so uh, didn't think too much of it. I was low-key pissed off. I had egg on my shoe for the rest of the night. And I drove to, uh, I got him some food from Taco Bell. And I was like feeling, feeling pretty good that I was doing the right thing. And then we go through Taco Bell. And he orders this order that like I don't even, it's like on the secret menu or something. It's like a $20 order for two things. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I got him that and took him to the hospital. And like the day after he calls me to see if I want to buy some clothes. And I was like whatever but i I think this is the experience itself i was how how coincidental things like that happen and i don't know that that's not happening all the time for everybody uh, just maybe me walking through this allowed me to be a little bit more open like my antenna goes up a little bit higher and i'm able to like see those things and i don't know that that's a god thing or not a god thing or if it's probability and statistics i don't know but that's what it meant to me and signs like that happen like consistently but some of the best feelings are the the gratitude moments that i get when i'm around you all but since y'all have both both heard that story and i took up ample time for you all both to think <laughs> of a good experience please 
share one or sh down. Taylor's nodding at me. Um, this is so hard for me to pick one. Um, so most recently, um, we're talking about God moments, right? Not necessarily winks from the universe or whatever, but just God moments. Did you moments. say wink? Winks. God winks from the God winks from yeah, the universe. I did. Yeah, I, did. I love that. <laughs> it's a class act. Um, Frank Sinatra God. Moments that I understand that I'm like on the right path, right? Is that kind of what we're talking about? It's very subjective and ambiguous. Yeah, just in your own language, bro. Oh, so um, I'll, I'll do a recent one. I was getting my nails done. Um, well, I was I broke a nail, so I was getting a nail put back on on Monday, man. And I was I was sitting there and I was talking to my friend Sue, and uh, we're going back and forth, and I heard like my name from from behind me and my grandmother's sitting there and she's getting her nails done um, and you know I, I never paid attention to my intuition I never paid attention to what my gut said and my gut was like you know do something nice for her pay for her nails um, and that may not sound huge to whoever is listening here but like Brittany four and a half years ago would not have done that would not have even been in a position to where I could do that oh, right for sure. I'm not gonna get my nails done um right I'm not <laughs> I'm an absolute mess probably haven't showered for a week smell really bad and it's just a bad time um but I got the opportunity to do that and I got the opportunity to not tell her in that moment and walk away and let her feel um whatever she felt I don't know what she felt she didn't even mention it after and that's cool because I, I was in a place where for one, I could listen to that, and for two, I had the means to do something like that. And, and I have not always been in that place. I've not always cared to be in that place. Um, like Taylor was saying, I was always very selfish and self-centered and only thinking about myself. And for that to even pop up in my mind to do something like that is, is evidence to me of something bigger than me. Yeah, most definitely. I don't know that, like, normal people uh, it's like it, maybe it's exclusive for um members of the, like recovery fellowships to like have to be trained to do nice things <laughs> for other people <laughs> it's like and, and then and then have to speak about it you know what i'm saying or not speak about it not like it's hard to not tell people because like i want the credit for those things like that's it's like uh, i want you to i want the feeling of whatever i get out of that when i do something for you and like the pull from letting and letting that be anonymous and letting that just happen for other people is like you weren't doing that on your own accord as much as you were listening to that intuition you had and I don't know where that comes from but that's like that's a um, a division of gratitude in some way listening to that communication that's going on in you whatever part whatever voice whatever Brittany that is in you I don't usually wake up and get in touch with that person in me a lot it does those things Taylor <laughs> uh, let's see the moments so we're asking about the moments where I'd see that I've had a spiritual experience is that I just want just just some of those serendipitous synchronicity little nectar from the gods that drips down on you at certain moments that are I don't the more that I look at it the more that I 
see that there's never a moment that's not that. Oh, wow. You know? Mm -hmm. that, wow. Like, and, and that's just like, <laughs> but that it's happening for me all along and I just never see it. And that's why the perspective thing is so important for me. Like, it's revolutionizing my attitude and outlook upon life, you know, and the way that I, the way that I see things. So the first time, I, I'm thinking about the first time that something good happens for somebody and I'm not jealous. Oh my God. You know, or envious, you know like it's somebody that I know in the rooms, you yeah, know, like I, I see something good happen for them and I'm like, wow, I'm genuinely happy for them. Or see, there like, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, or when I quit going to meetings to meet girls you know? <laughs> and I'm genuinely there for friendship, you know, like that's a big moment for me. Uh, or when I, um, when I, somebody says something to me and I don't act angry, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't yell at them or cuss them out or in my mind or verbally, you know what I mean? Like any of those moments are evidence of a complete revolution in the way that I, that I think and approach life. And in any of those moments, not have the need or desire to go get high, mm -hmm. you know, like I can just move through it you know like all of that to me is evidence that i've had some type of spiritual experience now the ex we have the appendix here in front of us that talks about how there's different types of spiritual experiences sure. but we have a definition of spiritual experience in the book mm -hmm. you know <laughs> it, it twice mm -hmm. and and those that is what happens to me as a result of being open and willing and honest with myself, uh, open to a new experience, willing to take advice from somebody else and, and honest as I'm going through the steps, you know, and I just, um, yeah. So yeah, that's it. That's all I got right now. That's super. You're like one of the most intelligent mm. people I know. I know you don't think that and I don't always think that. No, I know I am. <laughs> Touche. Oh, I thought I got one more. Um, going to people and telling them that I'm wrong—that's a huge one for me. Oh yeah, it is a huge <laughs> one for you. <laughs> it's, super, it's super huge. You know, for me to be able, and this just and this happens to me. It, I, was just, I was gonna say it happened to me recently, but it seems to happen to me a lot. <laughs> Where I have to have to go to people that I care about and say. You know what? It was wrong of me to do this or that, and those are the, those are moments of humility, mm -hmm. and those are moments of growth. Uh, those are moments that are definitely evidence that I no longer think more of myself than of somebody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it's not. Like I don't know that I don't think that about myself <laughs> that I'm more than, than somebody else, but at least I'm taking the actions to show that I don't think that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing, Taylor. All right. So when I say you're one of the smartest people I know, what I mean to say directly after that is, if there was a way that you could train yourself to be genuinely happy for good things happening to other people, and that you could go and genuinely admit that you are wrong about some infraction that you've you've committed against somebody i feel like you would have done that on your own oh yeah i definitely would have but i just always avoided it i just i was like 
oh, I was wrong. I guess I'm no longer going to be friends with that person. <laughs> oh, I was, I was wrong. I guess I'll just never answer the phone again. I guess I was wrong. I, I will just quit my job. Right. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, yeah. like, and, and go get high. And that's all. That was the only solution I had, just to run from everything. And the ability not to run from everything is a pretty big deal for me. Great. I'm a runner. Yeah. Same. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna avoid her. King of abandonment. That's you. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm king isolator. So I do it to the point where I feel like I'm an alien on Earth. What do you do, Britt? Are you a powder? I pout. I also run. Avoid avoidance. It's a huge one. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about the time you met Mike Tyson. What? Oh, that's true. So, also a good a good point in this. And I know it's later on in all the steps and, and, and stuff, but, like, in the amends process. Like, there's been some moments where, like, I didn't want to be there and do the things and say the things. I'm super scared. And I'm going through it. And, uh, and you know, when I'm writing it out and making this list, I'm checking it twice. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I... I preparing um and you know i guess we also never think of this either is that we, we have this amends list in front of us and or people we've harmed and we're going to make an amends to them and we never consider like we're the ones that harmed them right and that they're probably not constantly thinking of us the way that we're constantly being bombarded with the conscious thought of having to go to them and how uncomfortable that may be. Like, if I'm thinking about somebody who's harmed me and they just come knock on my door one day and they're like, yo, you remember when I took your shit and beat you up and made fun of you in front of all the kids in high school? I'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll stutter and tell, yeah, I remember. That's going to be super uncomfortable for me. So it's like, and then we make the approach in a tactful and reasonable way, but like, it's just a whole, uh, it's a whole thing, as we say around here lately, for some reason, a tagline, it's a whole situation, it's a whole thing. But showing up and going through that, and I, I'm pretty sure, psychologically, when I'm writing these things down, that how I'm going to address this, and then I start running scenarios, I'm pretty sure how I know it's going to go, and that I'm prepared for them to lash at me, say whatever they need to say, and to do whatever it needs to be done in order to correct this. And I like mechanically, I've got it. I want to go through it. I've done them before. I'm, whatever. I'm finally ready to do this one. And I, then I go through it. And it's not in the words that we find. And like um, Ram Dass said this, it's not in the words that we connect. It's beyond in the silence. And uh, I, for me, that hit with... It's not about the words. It's about in the following up and actually correcting what we did and righting our wrongs. And I don't know if either of y'all have any experiences of the proverbial air quotes here, God moments within those amends that you have done, like where you saw some pivotal change in your reaction towards life through an amends. Like I heard a speaker say this at one point that we're time travelers. Like, I know that the program will have the power to change my future at this point. Provided I keep doing what I've been doing, perhaps my future will reflect that and that it won't be the same as I think it's going to be. But also my present. But how does something have the power to change your past? 
And that's that's deep. And I love this. I love talking about it and being about it. And I love experiencing it. That was my foot, Taylor. You could, it's all right, though. You play footsies with me later. <laughs> Do you all have any of those? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> essentially what this is is some people that are sitting around. We're nobody special. I mean, we're literally at a, a bougie kitchen table with some rinky-dink uh, microphones equipment that we got. And we just had a little idea that we'll sit down and we'll talk about this and we'll connect to some people. And we all work jobs like 40-plus hours a week. We live in different cities and we have relationships with each other. It's, what, January 18th, 2019. It's raining outside. It's cold and dreary. Brittany's wrapped in a blanket. And... <laughs> We're essentially nobody special. And all we're literally trying to do is connect and communicate. And that we're people that used to wake up and our first thought go to be either chaos, uh, anarchy, or how do I get something in my veins that's not there right now in order for me to exist. And today we're sitting here and we're talking about God in moments. And we're all three friends. And we all three love each other. And we all three accept and like the, the other person knows what they're talking about when we're talking about God and it's appealing and it's a viable option. Like, I don't, that in itself is, a, is, is an experience. Like this whole conversation, whether somebody hears it or not, is, is proof positive that something has happened in our lives. Like my war stories aren't the same. Um, moments in my uh my life as taylor said react differently and uh, i react differently in those moments i have barriers between it but like i don't know if somebody would have asked you all how many years you got Brittany? four and a half oh i didn't know we count halves uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe taylor maybe once we get to four and a half years we'll we'll be able to levitate like she does same if you get those new nike air maxes apparently you do 90s do y'all have any good tidbits about the amends you've been through what yeah. time are we at taylor we're almost an hour oh sweet perfect timing you have any yeah i have get, a really good one oh my, tell me tell us i want to know oh um so early on I didn't have like a good understanding of the men's process and I had called my ex-husband which is my child's father and I had um Makes sense. <laughs> thus, I had kind of I had attempted to make amends over the phone like that because I was living in a different state and all the things um so I, I moved back up here about a year and a half ago and I got kind of like flung into this place of like major upheaval nothing was the same um I didn't really know what was going on so so I went back to what I knew which was the work um and through that I I got to make another amends with this man and our relationship has never been great um you know he struggles with his own stuff and we've always had a pretty difficult time communicating in regards to our child and all of the things and I, I called him and I explained what I was going to do and I sat down with him and I had prayed about this and I had written out everything that I wanted to say to him and um, so I went through all of the things and I asked if there was anything else and then I asked what I could do to make it right and all he said he said um, 
just keep being a good mom to our son, keep trying to communicate with us, um, all the things. But what, what happened was I looked at that man with a new, like a new pair of eyes. They talk about a new set of glasses. I saw like another sick human. I didn't see like the, um, the drug addict and all of the things. And I'm hoping that he had the same experience with me because our communication has grown through that process and we've been able to better co-parent. Like you didn't, what I'm hearing you say is like you didn't, when you when you saw him as a, another sick person, is the resentments and the perception you had towards him as being less than was removed. Yeah. Yeah. And in that, it also, um, resentment I didn't even know I had to get like, Regarding my child, just being a part of him, um, I, I was able to look at my son differently, and it was it was the weirdest. It, I was never ex I was not expecting that. Um, it was like seeing my child differently too through that, um, and it's been really cool. And what's it been like moving forward from that? We communicate. We we text regularly. We talk regularly. We sit down with each other regularly to talk about my child and well our child and um, you know he takes a more active role in parenting. Um, I'm not so like gripped with fear that, that he's out to get me and all of the things. Do you think that this current experience that you've got? Um, you foresaw that coming? No. You feel like it was vital in moving forward? You feel like that something good hinges on that? Hope that moving forward from this point has a better foundation? Yeah, there's definitely hope there. It seems like it. It sounds like it. So you're talking about it in a hopeful, constructive way. Mm -hmm. You're not full and bitter and like no. trying to win an argument or debate or something. Mm -hmm. I love that. Changed your past. Yeah. What about you? Who? What about you, Raj? What about me, Raj? <laughs> yeah. This in, guy? In immense. Oh, immense stories. Um. My favorite, favorite one was, I was um brought up by a mother and uh, grandparents and uh, I was just unruly from the get-go but it really formed like formed when I was teenage years and sent to a group home and from that moment on till I was like 30 I was just um, a shit stain on society and anything that showed up I was trying to use for my benefit you know robbing people and I prided myself at being the lower tiers of life and scum buckets and I had merit badges for my tolerance and my connections and how I could use and how dark things could get and uh, I would uh, I thought that was that reality was sufficient for me and, it, and not that it wasn't sufficient but that uh that was my lot in life the darkness and how how much of it i could take like self-pity and all the things and i would talk to periodically i would need help <laughs> with money or i would get myself in some jam and by prox proximity to my being my mother's son she would you know come visit me in jail cells and she would um uh, tell me how I needed help and all the things and it got to where she just her talking to me was just contentment and anger and 
just disdain for my existence as well is what it seemed like to me and that she was never able to really understand me and that's really I guess what I wanted from that one person was to be understood not to change what I was doing but this accept me for this person I am because you've made me this way and uh all, all the things that wrapped her in and around that and you know and uh we were just constantly in conflict with each other that way too much alike hard-headed um unwilling to budge on our ideas or what our opinions of each other are and that um so the the concept i had of my mother was just uh anger filled she was just a bitter woman who um uh, left me out in the cold and didn't want anything to do with me and saw me as a pity case and that's the only time I ever received any um uh communication with her and she just as as much as she could uh push me as far away as she could and but also make sure that I stayed there so like the amenities that I would get from her were really just her buying peace for herself and keeping me at bay. And I hated existing that way. And that's that was like the pinnacle of our relationship at that point, getting into recovery. And I, I, uh, I go and I make the amends and she's, she does the teary eyed thing. And like what you, what you said, just keep doing what you're doing. And she said something probably more along, uh, you don't owe me anything. Um, I know your grandparents would be so happy of you because they had both had passed and it was super cool. And, uh, so, but moving on from that, the book talks about, we have to take the, we have to take the lead and we have to do things. And I would, you know, there were, there were moments where I could, you would, Hey, can you help me come set these plants out? Hey, can you put mulch down? Hey, can you help me put these plants up? Hey, can you help me do this? And like they're little tidbit things. And I don't really know what she wants to do when she wants to do them. She asked me and I do it, but like, trying to find where to take the lead is was difficult for me so there was a moment when one day I was driving home from work and I call her just to talk to her because that's how our relationships turn now we just you know we just stay communicating and it's it's cool conversations and all the things and in this particular day she said that uh she was just his not hysterical but she was angry when she answered the phone just cussing at me you can tell she was ruffling stuff it sounded like she was doing laundry but really angry like like (laughs) and uh i was like what happened she goes someone broke into our fucking house roger and and they kicked in the goddamn door and they went through every fucking thing they they didn't moses which is her puppy she's like they didn't mess with him thank god and she was she was terrified she's like went through my panty drawer roger they they went through my nightstand and took a grandmother's watch and she was just uh and i started every time she started telling me what had happened i started feeling it i was like you need me to come over she said no no it's fine we've already called the police they've been here they got blood all over my goddamn sheets like she was yelling at my stepdad at the time she was finding things that whoever broke in and done and at the same time she was talking to me and telling me about them so i just drive straight over there and I go in and I see where the door had been kicked off and it's like splintered and I I walk in and uh, there's this general energy of disarray and I I walk over to like the breezeway where a bedroom is and I see her she's still on the phone with me telling me what they've done and I'm in the house just looking at her and when I see her and full of this anger and this disdain 
and this just like vileness that I had seen. What made me hate her, what made me hate myself because of her, right, went away. And because of the experiences that I have in coming through the steps and how in my profound reaction to life, what I saw was not anger and vileness. What I saw was uh, terror and sadness. That she had worked all day as she's done for like 30 years and she had done nothing in order to deserve what had happened to her. Where I had done those things before. And she's cleaning up her stuff. And I was like, how would I feel if I went home after work? And I had found that my door had been kicked in. And they had rummaged through all my personal effects. All my knickknacks and paddywhacks. The things that I hold dear to my heart. And they just thrown them by the wayside. They had taken things from me. And all I did was go to work and come home. And I have to do that. And and while it was terrible what happened to her, I just went straight to my little brother's room because they had loaded up some of his shit, and I started putting away his clothes. And I hear her talking and him talking and stepdad, and they were both just terrified at this thing. And that had happened consistently to them. And they're like, they're not bad people. Like, they helped me and my older stepbrother out, and they love my little half-brother. And, like, they they're solid people. And then they keep getting, like, little brother, bless his heart. That's what I had done forever was just take his shit. He would get a new system, take all his games and his shit. And I, and I did it consistently, almost to the point to where he's used to it at this point in life. And, like, I saw that for the first time. So what happened is just the same way with Brittany is, is that I saw that it wasn't anything to do with anger and her hating me. She was terrified that she couldn't do anything for her son. More, Most terrified and sad that one of the people she loved most, that she couldn't do anything to help. And really all she wanted to do was help. And all that anger and resentment came from her not being able to. And I realized that I wish that I could love like that. That I could have the means and the capabilities in order to love somebody in that dynamic and it made me fall in love with her as mom and as a person and the just the like that didn't need or have to happen but it did happen and through it happening it's allowed us to have a more uh, open vulnerable communicative relationship and I didn't it's not something I took the lead on. That was just because of what I'm doing. As Taylor spoke of earlier, I'm able to just show up. And it's in the showing up that those things happen. And it started with making the amends early on. And I, I relate it to that, but I don't know that it is. But it's how it hits. Okay, so Taylor's giving me the throat signal. <laughs> he's running his hand across his throat which i know what that means um thank you all for listening if you made it all the way through this uh i hope it wasn't a snoozer and hopefully we'll have more content like this and if you have any uh suggestions or you would like to be on podcast hit us up what's the email taylor common solution daa at gmail.com also subscribe like follow Whatever you have to do, Google Podcasts, iTunes. No, what's the iTunes one? Uh, 
Apple Podcast. That's it. Spotify. Whatever platform you use to subscribe to your podcast. Use it and subscribe to this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for um, being here and um, letting us share our experience and all the things with you. Um, Till next time, may the force be with you. Bye.